Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I complained earlier this week about Billy Napier, the Florida coach, just not really being interesting enough to kind of fan the flames of this rivalry. He may prove to be a better coach than Dan Mullen. Perhaps that's not so difficult to do. Uh, But Mullen was just sort of better at the rivalry thing. You know, he had the spring game attendance that was like trolling how long it had been since Georgia won a national championship you know we've got actually young folks in our audience you may have a hard time remembering there was a time in which Georgia didn't always win the national championship and when it didn't uh Florida they were all over that however many days thousands of days whatever it was Dan Mullen loved to do that kind of stuff now he would later play Dom which for him is probably not playing but he would you know later try to pretend that uh, he didn't know what anybody's talking about or whatever else but in the moment we've saved the receipts on that it's fairly obvious that when he had a chance to kind of stir the pot with Georgia that's what he wanted to do Billy Napier is just not quite as good at that now eventually he may be the kind of coach that commands the presence and the rivalry that he doesn't currently have but it's going to take more than one good recruiting class to get Georgia fans frankly thinking about Billy Napier at all at some point he's got to introduce himself here in this rivalry and we'll find out on Saturday if he's a coach capable of doing that here this year but when you don't quite have your own juice, when you haven't quite developed that level of repertoire yet, uh, then sometimes you have to go outside for that. And obviously no one at Florida in the history of that program has been better at stirring the pot than former coach Steve Spurrier has been. And admittedly, it is a rivalry game. We also here like to stir the pot too. I've told you before, I am not above intentionally trolling you if I feel like that's what we need to do to kind of get in the right frame of mind for just how significant a battle that Georgia is about to wage. And I do believe on Saturday, while we're obviously confident that Georgia wins, we are not going to be cocky. In fact, uh, the next guest uh, or the next voice you're about to hear kind of talked about that idea. We're not going to be too cocky here. We're not going to act like this game can't be competitive on Saturday, and we're not going to act like Georgia can't be at its best and uh, still somehow find a way to win that you need to play your best you need to be ready to do that and if you do then obviously the better team Georgia has a very good chance of winning but to get the fans in the right mood and to me for a cocktail party rivalry game Henri is the right move let's use a classic villain here to get us to do that it is Steve Spurry the former Florida coach he was on WRUF this is a uh, radio station in Gainesville Florida and Spurrier as you might imagine is picking the Gators to win the game, kind of talking himself into the idea of what he calls a big upset for Florida against Georgia there on Saturday. Perhaps not surprising, but useful for us as we find a new reason to hate those lousy, stinking Gators going into uh, Saturday. So let me let you hear from the Gainesville, Florida radio station, Steve Spurrier talking up the idea of Florida beating Georgia. This is what Spurrier said. They're a very good team, and they're used to winning. And uh, South Carolina... Uh, went into Athens and had them 14 to three at half, uh, and I mean completely outplayed Georgia the first half, and then the second half Georgia just completely outplayed South Carolina. So if we're to beat them, we we got to play the entire game and, and play well, and I think we're certainly capable of doing that. That victory at South Carolina uh, may have given our team some some really good confidence uh, that we're good enough to go beat uh, the guys, but you got to do it for four quarters. So. I'm going to pick our Gators in a big upset. So not surprising, Steve Spurrier picking the big upset. His evidence for that, well, you know, we beat South Carolina, and South Carolina for a while was keeping it somewhat close against Georgia, and so therefore that's that's maybe all these teams, all these Gators players need to have the confidence to go out there and win this game there on on Saturday. That's enough for me. I'm going to pick the big upset here. So that's kind of what Florida's clinging to right now, the idea they barely beat a team that Georgia – uh, briefly struggled with, and I guess if you're Florida at this stage of your program, kind of decline, uh, an empire in decline here, then you just sort of grab hold to whatever you have, and that's what Steve Spurrier has going into Saturday, finding any reason he can to kind of hate on UGA, because at this stage of his, you know, kind of life in football, that's all Spurrier really is, is just sort of a hater, kind of trying to relive his past glory, and trying to stir the pot with uh, his previous rivals when he has a chance to but here's where this kind of gets a little bit interesting while it's not surprising that Spurrier would pick Florida to beat Georgia he pretty much always picks uh Florida I guess to win every game I would, I would imagine 
apparently because of his success both in beating Georgia, and admittedly he did have some, and as also kind of way with words, the kind of personality that Billy Napier does not have, see Spurrier always did have, even the most ardent Gator hater will admit that, and the most ardent Spurrier hater will admit the fact that Spurrier certainly played with some pizzazz and coached with some personality. He certainly had that. And so since Billy Napier is essentially a piece of furniture, um, he has seen it fit to kind of outsource the personality for the Florida program this week because it's apparently not just radio interviews in Gainesville, Florida, where Spurrier's out there talking about Georgia here this week. Apparently, he's been invited into the Florida locker room to address the players this week there as well. This is what Spurrier said about that, that he's been called in to go back to the now distant past to explain what it's like to beat Georgia. This is what Spurrier told us about that this week as well. Yeah, Coach Tapier just said, can you just sort of talk a little bit about how you guys beat Georgia most, most all the time? And we did. We went over there with confidence, but we knew we had to play well. There's a difference between confidence and cockiness. Cockiness means we're just going to show up and kick your tail. No, no. Confidence, if we play our best, we should be able to win. We should. It's not, not, wins are not guaranteed unless you go earn them. And the final clock ticks zero. That, that's when you know you're a winner. So we'll, we'll have to play four quarters the best we can. If we do that, I think we got a, a good chance. So let me tell you two things here. Thing number one is this, and this will never happen because Kirby Smarts doesn't stoop to this level. But when you think about Spurrier picking Florida to beat Georgia and speaking to the team and talking about, you know, back in my day, we used to win this rivalry game. If Kirby Smart wanted to, he could pull the Ryan Day right here. Now, Smart doesn't do that kind of thing. Uh, He doesn't pick on, you know, 80-year-old men. But if he wanted to, he could be much the same way Ryan Day that day was, where's Lou Holtz? You know, after uh, Holtz had said whatever he said going to the Notre Dame-Ohio State game. If Kirby Smart wanted to do, though, where's Steve Spurrier? Let me call out Spurrier because Spurrier was apparently talking up the team and trying to fire him up to come out here and beat us. If, if, if Kirby Smart wanted to pull the Ryan Day thing and call out Spurrier, the old man, the same way. Yeah, there you go. Uh, for those of you watching on video, uh, there, there's Lou Holtz and Ryan Day, the 86-year-old Holtz who kind of got underneath Ryan Day's skin. If Kirby Smart wanted to do that now that Spurrier has talked up the game on radio and uh, you know gone to the Florida locker room and you know done the whole back in my day type speech, if Kirby wanted to do that, he clearly could. You know, where's you know where's Steve Spurrier? The same way that Ryan Day did the other day. My guess is that's not what Kirby wants to do because Kirby's kind of holding himself to a different standard than perhaps Ryan Day is holding himself to right now. But the other part of this, and this is where I you know have to kind of you know admit here, there is an element to which that uh, something that Spurrier says there is probably true. And I don't like admitting that Spurrier's ever telling the truth about anything, but there's an element to which he probably is telling the truth. I briefly referenced this a moment ago. Spurrier says, hey, you want to be confident, but you want to be cocky. And I think those words that he means to address the Florida team can probably also be pretty useful for the Georgia side there as well. Of course, you should be confident. You're the number one team in the country, and you've won however many games in a row that you've won. Of course, you should be confident. You'd be a fool not to be confident. But to veer in the direction of cockiness, that's probably a mistake. And in this rivalry game in particular, I believe that's true. You know, one of the things we hear about rivalry games all the time is, oh, you throw out the you throw the records out the window and so-and-so gets together. Well, I don't actually know how many rivalries that's truly true for, the idea that crazy things can happen. Iron Bowl a little bit when Auburn is a big underdog playing at home. They've had a way of surprising Alabama. But a lot of rivalry games where you sort of think, oh, you throw the, rivalry, the record books out the window. I don't know how often that really is true. Georgia-Florida thinks an example of that there as well, where it seems like in most cases, most years, the better team probably wins the game. Not in every case. There have been obviously examples when that's not been true. But in most cases, it seems like the better team has typically won this game. However, the one thing I was thinking about, this is a very competitive rivalry, even if the winner is typically in line with what our expectations were. You know, think about like the last decade or so in this game. You had Georgia a total no-show in the 2014 game. I don't take pride in saying that, but Georgia just didn't show up that day. Got embarrassed by Florida. You had Florida that was a total no-show in the 2017 game in what proved to be kind of the late stages of the Jim McElwain era there. Gators fans would admit that. Our team didn't show up. We just we just laid down and died. We quit, basically, against Georgia. So you've got a really bad 2014 performance, maybe kind of a baddish 2015 performance because of the Fatone Bata thing and things like that. And, and on the Florida side, you've got the total no-show in 2017. 
But other than that, even when Georgia has won with some margin, there are moments in those games, 2021, 2022 are an example of this, there are moments in those games where it was competitive. And Georgia may have had a nice-looking final score, but had to play hard to get there. And even in Florida's win in 2020 and what was kind of their you know sort of pandemic year and Georgia was kind of not quite at a championship level, pretty banged up. And even what was kind of a you know the only kind of good year Dan Mullen ever really had, at least in terms of making an SEC championship game or something like that, even in that spot, you know, Georgia was up early, Georgia was competitive early and kind of faltered late. Even that kind of a somewhat convincing Florida win, there were a lot of moments in that game where even Georgia was pretty competitive there that day. And certainly on the uh, other side, in the dominant run that Georgia's been on as of late, there have been lots of moments within those, in some cases, convincing Georgia wins where Florida was pretty competitive. So I think the expectation on Saturday is, is that once again, Georgia probably wins and Georgia probably wins somewhere around that kind of two touchdown number, but it also probably has to work to get there. Uh, as Steve Spurrier points out, right to be confident, be, be careful being cocky, because this is the kind of game that both sides clearly view as a big-time rivalry, and both sides clearly kind of show up in a pretty intense way. But there's also some evidence here, and we'll close with this. There's also some evidence here that some of those Florida players who've been told, be confident, but don't be cocky, Florida players have a tendency not to always listen to that, and perhaps we have an example of a Florida player not listening to that right now. Nick Della Tora is a guy that covers uh, Florida, and I think he's been doing that kind of for a while here. He shares with us uh, what a Florida player says uh, uh, this week about the game. His name is Austin Barber. On the Georgia winning streak, he says 24-0 is great. That's meaning that's how many games that Georgia's won since it last uh, lost a, a, you know, last lost a game. He says 24-0 is, a, is great, but they got to come play us. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with a player thinking his team's going to win the game. We're not, not going to make more of this uh, than it is. But this is the kind of thing we've been waiting for. A lot of these Florida players are typically pretty good at kind of giving you something like this along the way. Uh, you know, the idea of, our, you know, Jake Fromm, who's going to, by the way, join us later on the show. You know, the idea before the 2017 game, you know, all he does is throw slant passes or whatever it was that was said then. And we've had a lot of that over the years where the Florida player kind of finds a way to sort of say something he shouldn't say prior to the game. Does this rise to that level? I don't know necessarily that it quite does, uh, but it certainly gives you an idea that Florida is still Florida. And when you listen to what Steve Spurrier says this week or what a Florida player says right there, if you're a Georgia fan, it's still pretty to ha- pretty easy to hate those lousy, stinking Gators. And hate and anger and intensity is exactly the right mindset prior to a rivalry game like this. So take the words of Spurrier seriously. Go down there confident. Go down there ready to win. Be careful getting cocky because it can be a competitive football game with both sides often playing pretty well, at least for the long stretches during almost every one of these games that take place. But ultimately, it's the kind of game which Georgia has a chance to prove that it's not only still the best team in the country, but specifically still the best team in this rivalry. And after a long number of years in which a lot of us endured Florida being on top, Steve Spurrier himself being the architect of some of that Gator success, it is a brand new era in this rivalry. And a lot of us are enjoying every moment of it. And that enjoyment we expect to continue again on Saturday. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Presented today by Meriwether and Tharp. We're happy to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m. Across all video platforms, even earlier than that, 945, first and 15. The Dog Nation homepage, the Dog Nation app. Glad to have you with us. Of course, the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960, the Raven, across every podcast platform. Just really happy to have you as a part of the program here right now. And great to have our friends at Meriwether and Tharp making it all possible for you there as well. You know, the last couple of weeks, We've been telling you about a brand new website for our friends at Meriwether and Tharp because of some big time expansion they've got coming uh, coming up. New offices opening up outside the Atlanta area. I cannot wait to reveal all this to you. Uh, but for now, I want you to remember a brand new website for them. It's georgiadivorceteam.com. georgiadivorceteam.com. Now, for a good number of years, you've been hearing me talk about the divorce process and kind of what that perhaps means for you and the role that Meriwether and Tharp can play for you and with you on that so let me kind of skip past some of that right now and just sort of jump to like the last page here for a moment if you've contemplated divorce if you believe that divorce is sort of that next unavoidable thing for you then i want you to understand a couple of the ways in which uh meriwether and tharp can really kind of serve you during this time which is helping you with kind of a couple of the most challenging parts of the divorce process that's the kind of the complicated nature of it and also the sort of uncertain part of this from the financial standpoint. In other words, 
How much is it going to cost me to go through this divorce process? And different people kind of have different expectations. You know, some people are a little bit more comfortable with almost like a do-it-yourself style thing where you can get that handled uh, for a very, you know, affordable price. Other people say, hey, this is maybe the most important life-altering thing I expect to go through for the next few years. Therefore, I want to make sure that I've gotten all of the best advice and counsel I can possibly get. There are just different uh, I guess, added attitudes about the kind of financial commitment you want to make to the divorce process and how much you're hoping to, I guess, get out of this on the other side. And Meriwether and Tharp now offers a range of options for people depending on which divorce option feels right for you. So if you go to georgiadivorceteam.com, you can educate yourself more about this. They have a DIY option that starts for as low as $99. They got the uh, M&T assisted plan, which can be as uh, low as $1,749. But I also want you to be aware of the model M&T plan for Meriwether and Thorpe. This is a brand new kind of proprietary idea uh, and uh, plan that Meriwether and Tharp has put together specifically for folks like you. The model M&T, it includes a payment plan, and you can also get uh, uh, you know that option to you know get the traditional coverage if you'd like to. If you feel like your situation is very complex, uh, you can get that traditional divorce uh, representation there as well. But I want you to go online, learn more about the model M&T plan because you can pay a fixed rate or you can pay like a monthly subscription cost. It's a really creative way to give you assurance about exactly how much your divorce proceeding is likely to cost you. You can learn more about that online, georgiadivorceteam.com, georgiadivorceteam.com. The one thing that's never changed about Meriwether and Tharp, though, they remain your source for Georgia divorce with brand new offices located all across the state of Georgia and brand new options for you to get peace of mind through your divorce process. Find them online, georgiadivorceteam.com. All right, we've got two great guests on our show today. As we told you, before we're done, we're going to hear from the former Georgia quarterback, Jake Fromm. And Jake will talk about Georgia-Florida here coming up. That'll be really fun with Jake. Uh, we'll do that before we're done. Jake also kind of gets into some of the controversy related to, like, the Michigan thing this week. Some of you all had wondered what we might think about what uh, – uh, the analyst said the other day about Caleb Williams perhaps sitting out the rest of the season. I asked Jake about that today there too. So some of the big issues around football in addition to Georgia, we get into that with Jake Fromm here coming up. Also, Terrence Edwards in a couple of minutes there too to specifically preview Georgia-Florida, the weekend in which Terrence is going into the Georgia-Florida Hall of Fame. Uh, that is going to be a really fun thing, and we'll do that here coming up in just a minute. Prior to that though, let's go around the doghouse. Presented today by Serve Pro and I kind of opened the show by talking a little bit about the vibe around the game on Saturday, kind of stirring the pot of the rivalry. You know, as we get closer to game time, you know, you got a Florida player kind of mouthing off a little bit. Steve Spurrier doing some of his typical shtick. And obviously the expectation is the game's going to be in some degree competitive because that's what Georgia-Florida games for the most part have been here in recent years to some degree competitive, even when Georgia has found a way to kind of win somewhat uh, convincingly. So uh, what's going to matter for Georgia on the field on Saturday? Well, one of the issues we've been monitoring closely this week is a key injury situation for Georgia as it relates to right tackle. You know, Amarius Mims was the original starter there, one of the, I believe, the really prime prospects for offensive linemen and perhaps the upcoming NFL draft, certainly a future NFL draft. We just think that Mims has the chance to be a potential first-round pick or something like that. And he's been away from Georgia the last few weeks after the tightrope surgery, dealing with his own uh, high ankle sprain type injury, and perhaps is working his way back to being able to play. But while he's been gone, Xavier Truss moved over from guard to tackle. And then in the uh, Vanderbilt game, Truss himself dealt with his own injury. So we've gotten a couple of updates here this week from Kirby on both Truss and Mims and where they are in their potential return. Let's start with Monday. Uh, Kirby, Kirby giving you that update on what both these guys have been kind of able to do during the bye week and what the outlook was for them at the beginning of the week. This is what Kirby Smart said then. Yeah, we'll find out a lot more today. Um, they both uh, were able to do some, some different things last week uh, in the off week and a lot of rehab, uh, a lot of maintenance, a lot of getting back. But until I see them out there today, I, I probably wouldn't be a good judge um, to be able to tell. So on Monday, Smart says, want to see more from them at practice here today, and that'll give me a better idea of kind of where things stand. So after Monday's and also Tuesday's practice, Smart had a chance to provide that update again about how things had changed, and at least according to the coach, perhaps maybe not that much from a status standpoint had changed with those two guys as of yet. Let's hear Kirby now from Tuesday night. Yeah, both guys have been able to take some reps and work. Uh, Xavier 
probably ahead of MIMS, uh, which is what we expected. Uh, but but I was really pleased uh, with, with MIMS. He pushed really hard today and got out there, got some work in, and um, and Trust has been out there, you know, both days. So on Wednesday, Kirby also participates in the SEC coaches teleconference. And yesterday, Smart said that ultimately the decision about who plays and starts at right tackle is going to come down to who gives us the best chance to win. So Smart, when it comes to the situation, keeping the cards pretty close to the vest. Now, let me kind of give you a free aside here for a moment. This has got nothing to do with this topic. But we've talked a lot the last few days about information that coaching staffs can gain about the teams that they're playing. And I think with what Michigan's been alleged to have done with like the sign ceiling stuff and the, and the advanced scouting of signals coming from the sideline. I think we're learning how valuable that information can be and perhaps how much it has helped Michigan here over the course of the last couple of years. There's Jake Fromm's going to talk more about this in a moment. There's clearly a, a pretty big edge and advantage when it comes to stuff like that. By comparison, I don't think the injury stuff is nearly as valuable. You know, the idea of, well, how healthy is Xavier Truss or how healthy is uh, Amarius Mims? I'm not quite so sure having access to that information one way or another is necessarily as valuable as actual play calling or play signaling type information. And the number one reason why is, and you've heard me say this before, if you think a player is hurt, he probably is. Oftentimes, if you think a player is healthy, he may be hurt. But once there's even any rumor about a player being injured, we sort of find out that he is. We saw this with like Duke and Florida State this past week. Oh, maybe Riley Leonard's healthy. Maybe he's going to return. But if you think he's hurt, he's probably still hurt. So when it comes to Georgia with both Mims and Truss, my guess is they're both probably still a little bit banged up. And my guess is they're both going to give it a go the best that they possibly can. When Kirby says that Truss is probably ahead of Mims, that seems to make some sense. Uh, my guess is this is just my best bet. Perhaps I'm wrong. Oftentimes I am. That it's probably Truss that starts on Saturday. One of the things we sort of consistently see with Georgia is is that willingness, that freedom perhaps because of how good Georgia's been, to be somewhat conservative and slow in returning guys from injury, especially in the case of Mims, who has dealt with the high ankle injury. I believe that Mims' high sprain is probably a little easier to come back from because of the position that he plays than the one that uh, Brock Bowers is playing. So we may see Mims soon, but perhaps not as soon as this week. Dressed out, ready to go, maybe. Ready to step in if uh, something goes wrong as an emergency situation. Perhaps that's the case, or perhaps it's more of Monroe Freeling. But I take it pretty seriously, the idea that as Mims is coming back from injury, that he's probably still on that journey and probably not just sort of miraculously healed and all of a sudden he's at 100%. Hopefully uh, what Kirby says about uh, trust proves to be true, that he's a little bit further along just because of the fact that maybe the injury that he sustained wasn't quite as serious. But what's going on for Georgia at right tackle will be a, a big part of the story there on Saturday as Georgia tries to continue to assert itself along the offensive line. Rushing yards have mattered in this series. Georgia seems to be figuring some stuff out with that uh, at the right time. But also, this has been a Georgia team that has been very good at protecting the passer this year. Uh, Carson Beck's only been sacked, I believe, six times this year. As our producer, Michael Carvels, pointed out to me, when you look at some of the advanced stat stuff in terms of the percentage of times that, that uh, Beck has faced pressure, uh, A, he's just faced pressure. Not only has he been good while facing pressure, he's just measurably faced pressure less than almost any other quarterback because of apparently how good the Georgia offensive line is at protecting uh, him. So offensive line play obviously matters a great deal here on Saturday. It's one of the areas in which we think that Georgia has potentially a big advantage over Florida. So finding out what the health situation is for Georgia's eventual right tackle, whether it be Trust or Mims, it's an important story. My guess is that we're probably still a little ways away from seeing Marius Mims at a fully uh, healthy standpoint. So we'll see if that proves to be wrong on Saturday. And that is Around the Doghouse. It's presented today by our friends at ServePro. And, of course, Georgia's got some big issues to kind of fix and get ready for as it takes on Florida there on Saturday. And you may be facing some big issues yourself when it comes to some real estate that you own, the home that you live in, perhaps it's a rental property, some passive income for you, or perhaps it's that commercial property that houses your business and the main source for your livelihood there. And when any one of these properties is threatened by you know, fire damage, water intrusion, the kind of thing that leaves a really huge mess behind, well, that's a big threat to you there as well, if not your financial state, your peace of mind. And that's where our friends at Surpro come in, because their restoration specialists can clean all this up for you like it never even happened. That's what Surpro 
is all about. So each and every Serpro franchise, independently owned and operated, which means when you do business with Serpro, you're doing business with someone that has a vested interest in the outcome, just like you do. So if you have a mess that needs to be cleaned up, fire, water, or perhaps it's something else, then find our friends at Serpro online, servpro.com for more on that. That's S-E-R-V, servpro.com for more on that. And Servpro brings around the doghouse to us here today. It's Jake Fromm before we're done. A lot on the Michigan fiasco with him, Georgia, Florida, of course, and everything else. And uh, I've got a little bit more today on a handful of true freshmen around the SEC that could be ready to break out in a pretty big way, or at least we'll be watching to see if they do. This could get interesting down the stretch. We'll give you some of that here before we're done on the program there as well. But for now, everything you need to get ready for this cocktail party coming up on Saturday from a guy who will factor prominently in it as he goes into the Georgia-Florida Hall of Fame. Let's talk to Terrence Edwards here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Merriweather and Tharp. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Soon to be newly minted Hall of Famer for the Georgia-Florida Hall of Fame, Terrence Edwards joins us here on uh, Dog Nation Daily here today. And Terrence, obviously, uh, I know it's going to be a really fun big weekend for you. Let me also just sort of briefly say off the top, great to see you this past Saturday there as well. Uh, You were part of the returning class for the Georgia uh, High School Football Hall of Fame. So great to see you with your blue jacket there on on Saturday and great to be a part of that with you. And uh, just really thrilled about the uh, day for you there on Saturday. Kind of a fun seven-day period, is it not? Oh, most definitely. I enjoy watching uh, a lot of my dog brothers going into the hall and a lot of players that I looked up to growing up like Deion Grant, uh, Jamal, um, a lot of Georgia guys that went off to play in Tennessee. So a lot, it, it was good to see a lot of there and um, I'm going to be back. I'm, I'm, I'm to, to come back because I'm very proud to be in the, uh, in the Georgia high school hall of fame. That's awesome to hear. And obviously on Saturday going to that Georgia, Florida hall of fame there as well. And, you know, you get a chance to go in during a period of time in which Georgia's really asserted a level of dominance on this rivalry, something that a lot of us who are Georgia fans craved for such a long time. How much fun is it for you to be going into this Hall of Fame at a time in which, you know, Georgia is not just on top in this rivalry, but on top in college football there as well, and it's Florida desperate to do something about that. Really a big shift in this rivalry here over the course of the last decade or so, and for a lot of us who've you know, hated Florida for as long as we have. I can certainly speak for myself on that. Uh, this is uh, long overdue and certainly an exciting time to be celebrating uh, your enshrinement of the Georgia-Florida Hall of Fame and what we hope is another Georgia victory on Saturday. Oh, most definitely, you know, unfortunately, you know, throughout my years, I, I never got an opportunity to win this game. So now as a fan, ex-player, you know, the dominance that we uh, occurred these last few years is, is – it's breathtaking. I, I enjoy every minute. I don't care if it's 56 to 0 or if we win by one point. I enjoy uh, another year being able to say that we won the this, this Georgia Florida game. And I think, you know, I think that the more um, excitement for me this weekend is going in with Coach Rick. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the, if I had to be inducted, which I will be, I think this is the, the person that I would like to be there with, with him and what he, he did for me. Um, and, and my family, what the type of player he turned me into. I was a good player, but he pushed me to become the player that I was, especially as my, my senior year. So yeah. I'm, 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 I, I enjoy and honored and grateful that I be there with alongside of him. And I think Mark Rick's insertion into this Hall of Fame, just like yours is, certainly a very uh, appropriate thing. And when I think of Coach Rick here in this rivalry, obviously it's hard not to think about that moment after your career was over, of course, but in 2007, the celebration and the big win for Georgia that day when everybody goes out and celebrates after Sean Marino's first touchdown. And I just remember, you know, at the time, you know, Coach Rick's belief that, hey, you know, Georgia needed a spark in this rivalry, needed something to kind of change the the attitude around the game because there had been some games that, you know, maybe you thought Georgia should have won and uh, weren't quite able to get done. And Rick seemed to understand the emotion required to kind of turn the tables on a rivalry like that. And in 2007 at work, you'd go on to have, you know, really thrilling wins in what, what, 2011 and 2012, 2013. You know, he would have some fun moments here in this rivalry. But this was a guy who seemed to understand that, 
you know, going down there and playing Florida down in Jacksonville is a really big deal. And when he needed to kind of pull out all stops like he did in 2007, he was more than willing to do that. As an ex-player at the time, a relatively young ex-player, what did you think when you saw all those guys run out there and celebrate? Clearly kind of an unorthodox thing for a guy like Coach Rick to do, but for that particular game against a very good Florida team, it, it, it certainly worked. What did you make of that? It was very shocking for uh, Coach Rick to allow this to happen. I don't know who idea it was, but uh, that was something that I think he needed and the team needed at that time to get a spark. And it's about pushing the right buttons. And I think that day Coach Rick pushed the right buttons to get his team over the top. Um, so, you know, just we haven't had to push those buttons to that extent recently. And Coach Smart has done a great job. And he understands this, this rivalry just as much as any of us does. He played in four of them himself. Um, so, you know, that, that day, Coach Rick pushed the right buttons. And so hopefully, you know, with, with Coach Rick being in, in the stadium, you know, with myself being in the stadium, um, we, we, we'll get a victory. And I, I assume and, and, and think we're the better team and we will win, but we all know how this rivalry goes. And that is exactly the case. And I talked about some of this before you joined us, which is, you know, even in games in which Georgia has won somewhat convincingly in recent years, there have been certainly a lot of competitive moments in the game that kind of led up to Georgia finally establishing its margin that that this is just a competitive, closely fought game, even in years in which one team by perception is is far better than the other. There are still lots of moments during the game where it feels like the contest is in doubt and it could still swing either way. You know, Georgia had to really flurry near the end of the first half to build a margin in 2021 you know Georgia last year won by about about three touchdowns but had to also kind of fight to kind of get to that point there too that that there are competitive moments even in the kind of games that are finally sort of decisively concluded like what do you kind of make about that as a guy who's played in the game is there a different feel to it when you kind of line up across my Florida player looking across at Georgia or your fellow teammates looking across at Florida is there a different feel to the intensity when you're on the field in a game like this? Oh, most definitely you could feel it. And this game is will always be competitive. I think just like you said, that they, you know we pulled away from them later in the game. But this game is going to be a back and forth. Florida's going to make their plays. We're going to make ours. And who makes the least amount of mistakes normally comes out on top. So I, I think, you know, Georgia talent for talent has the better team. But also to go that, you know, Florida is not going to come in there and lay down. They understand the magnitude of this game. Even if they haven't won in a while, just like I just saw uh, one of their players say, you know, no matter if they 24 no, they got to play us. They feel that they can win, no, no matter what we have done the last few years. So we, we have to go in with the mindset every year that we want to dominate this, this series. We want to dominate this game. And then, you know, when you look at, I think, the important role the Georgia defense plays on Saturday, you know, the number we've been kind of throwing around is the idea of 13 points. That's how much Georgia gave up last year to the high-powered Tennessee offense, almost exactly a year ago at this time. Georgia about to go into a big stretch where you've got rivalry game on Saturday against Florida. You know, pretty good offensive team Missouri after that. Pretty good offensive team Ole Miss after that. That same Tennessee team, albeit not quite as explosive offensively, uh, later on in the month of November. That the way in which the Georgia defense last year really stepped up against a great offense when needed, when it was needed, you know, that same blueprint can be in place here for the next few weeks there as well. Perhaps at times this year, this hasn't quite been the same level of Georgia defense that we've been used to seeing, but the overall numbers even still don't look all that bad. How much do you believe that Georgia can really go out there and make a defensive statement on Saturday against Graham Ertz, who's perhaps playing better than some folks realize, and a Florida team that, on the basis of the South Carolina game, maybe they're getting better at the right time, maybe perhaps, how big of a day can Georgia have on the defensive side of the ball on Saturday? I, I think the Georgia defense should, you know, go out and try to make a statement because we, we haven't played up to the level that we're used to. And, and that's because a lot of those guys are playing on Sunday. So I think we have to come back that we had defenses the last three years. We're very good this year. We're, we're not elite. So their teams are going to make their plays. 
Uh, but the defense got to be resilient, just not give up a lot of explosive plays. I believe Florida will hit an explosive play. They're going to score. They're going to score some points. Uh, we just have to not give up the big play and make them feel. And I don't believe that they can consistently drive the field on us. Maybe three drives, but not consistently throughout the game. And Georgia has to make plays. We, we have to make plays when opportunity presents itself. We have to take the ball away. We have to stop the run. Uh, NTN is a very good runner, so we can't allow them to throw and pass uh, with success. So I think this defense should have a chip on their shoulder going into this game. And then on the other side of the ball, I think that Carson Beck has the opportunity for a huge moment here. Another guy that's perhaps maybe having a better year than some people realize, although I think a lot of Georgia fans have certainly acquainted themselves with how successful, for the most part, Beck's been here this year. And yet it's also around this time a year ago that I think that Stetson Bennett kind of took his level of play up a notch and became a huge force down the stretch, obviously in postseason games, of course. And you kind of wonder, you know, is Beck ready to kind of also ascend at the right time here as well? Perhaps he's needed to because, let's face it, you know, Georgia doesn't have Brock Bowers right now. Beck's ability to distribute the football to a lot of the receivers that you and I always talk about, that to me is also a really interesting story here too that maybe this homecoming game for Beck kind of provides the spark for what can be a very important and impressive stretch run for Beck coming up here in the future weeks. What do you think the outlook is for Carson right now? Yes, this is going to be uh, the tough stretch. This is the gauntlet that you come to Georgia to play. He plays Florida this week, Missouri next week, and the Tennessee and Ole Miss in consecutive weeks. So this is the gauntlet that you come and play for. We're going to see um, what type of quarterback Beck is. I think he's going to come in and play well in his hometown. You know, he's, he's going home. He's going to have a lot of family and friends uh, wanting to, to get a part of him, wanting to touch him, wanting to talk to him. But he has to realize this is a business trip for him. He, he has to go with the mindset that I have to play my best game because this is why I came to Georgia, to play the Florida, to play um, Missouri, to play, play Ole Miss, all ranked teams and um, – a very important stretch through our season and um, if we could get through this gauntlet which I think we will um, we will be an opportunity to represent the East then represent the SEC in the in the college football playoff and then I'll finish with this you know this is also a series in which historically the team that's rushed at the best has typically won the game and you know I think there is some respect to be had for the Florida running backs I think they've had a pretty good year I don't know that I love the Florida offensive line but you know certainly Florida has been at times good on the ground here a bit uh but on the flip side Dejon Edwards seems to be coming uh on at the right time for Georgia you hope Kendall Milton's healthy enough to make the contribution that he's capable of uh of providing that if you see that tandem of a healthy Milton you'd hope and Dejon Edwards just continuing the run that he's been on that may be enough right there just that tandem of running backs for Georgia really providing that big boost to the rushing attack here at the right time, that may be really all that it takes to get Georgia past Florida on Saturday. I think so. You know, you know when you run the ball well, you, that accomplishes a lot of things. You control the clock. Uh, offensive line love run blocking. And then that sets up the pass. I think Coach Bobo have done a, a great job with, with the screen passes, being able to hit Dominique Lovett. Uh, with now routes or just one screen out in the flats allow him to do his thing with, with a gunner a, about an eight-yard per completion. Um, so controlling the clock, uh, I read that Kendall Milton should be about 100% health. I think Branson Robson, if I read, might be able to play. So I think he's going to go in and it's not going to be all up to Dejon, who Dejon has done a great job this year when called upon. So they're running a game from whoever is in the backfield uh, we, the offense line has to establish themselves for us to really complete dominate this game. Well, uh, Terrence, as we say goodbye to you, uh, certainly once again, congratulations on going to the Georgia-Florida Hall of Fame. I know what a special moment that is for you, and it's a well-deserved honor, of course, in light of the uh, great career you had. Also, your Milton football team playing very well right now. Nice win last week against uh, uh, West Forsyth and a big offensive showing there on that, which I know makes you very proud, too. And for folks who want some of the personal coaching you provide from a Georgia High School Football Hall of Famer, a Georgia-Florida Hall of Famer, and uh, all the other Halls of Fame that you'll find yourself in before it's all said and done, how can they get in touch with the Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy? Well, everyone can get in touch with me at Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy, but B.A., this will be the first time that I'm back on this field since 2009. 
2002. Oh, wow. So with the platform that you have right now and the wide range of audience, I want the person who called my house for the game after I dropped that pass, who left me that message, let's meet for a cocktail. Oh, wow. In Jacksonville this week. Let's meet. So anyone out there knows the guy who called my house in 2002 and left me a message, I would love to meet that person and we can have a good laugh over a cocktail. So, obviously, you're gracious about that now, but, you know, I'm sure that must have been a hard thing, you know, back then, the kind of – and this is sort of like pre-social media and things like that. So, you know, you had to kind of probably work to find somebody's, you know, you know, contact information back then. But, you know, for people who don't, don't realize, in the midst of a great season and a great career, obviously there was the drop pass against Ford, and you've been open about talking about that in the past – like, how frustrating was that for you, that people who, you know, uh, were your best friend when you were making all those touchdown catches in that particular moment, you know, they weren't exactly uh, maybe treating you that way. As a player, that's got to be a hard thing to kind of process and make sense of sometimes, right? The most frustrating part about that game was not the drop pass. It was not the, the phone call because it was a lot of things that transpired in that game. Yeah that uh, prevented us to win. It's my mom, for whatever reason, she's watched all her boys play games, uh, win, lose, don't play well. My brother fumbling problems, my my drop pass. My mom had to get rushed to the hospital after that game. Oh, no. I think that's what's the most disappointing thing, that, yes, it's a game, and I understand people's frustration, but they also don't know what – and that's why I try to tell fans, you, you don't know what your – towards players could do to the players' families as well. Yeah. My mom had to go to the hospital after that game and never knew why uh, why she passed out in the stands, but she did and never happened before. I, it could have been a drop pass. It could have been stress. It could have been whatever. But I just think sometimes we all need to just take a step back That's sometime right. and, and realize that these players and myself, we're human, and we have families that love us. And some of the vitriol that comes their way when we don't play well, it affects a lot more than us. So I just think sometimes people need to realize that at the end of the day it's a game and we have people uh, that love us, that read this stuff now with the social yeah. media. You have families that read this stuff. And, and I know we're there to entertain. We chose to do this. But sometimes you got to take a step back and think about the human part of them and not the player part of them. I think that's beautifully said. Very wise, Terrence, and I certainly appreciate that. Well-deserved honor for you on Saturday and obviously – uh, nice to be able to look back now, even with some of the you know disappointing fan behavior at that moment of the career that you put together and all the great moments. You would eventually go on to be an SEC champion, a thousand yard receiver, and still a record setter there at the University of Georgia. So you pretty clearly get the last laugh on anybody who may have said something negative about you uh, back then. So we appreciate your time, Terrence. Thank you so much. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I think what Terrence brings up there is a very real thing. And obviously, look, you know, Terrence will be the first to tell you that I mean, he was as heartbroken and disappointed as anybody by a, a dropped pass and what, you know, what might have, you know, been a big moment for him in a game against Florida. Because this, the mood around the game in 2002 was George was undefeated. That was the only game that Georgia lost all year long. So, you know, pretty clearly there was a lot of intensity around that. But as Terrence said, you know, we also try to remember that the guys involved in these moments these games are they're human beings right and you know you can have a factual conversation around well this needed to happen this should have happened this was good this was bad and you know hopefully around here we're able to facilitate that honest conversation about the good and the bad and everything in between when it comes to college football but at the same time you know taking to that sort of personal level and attacking someone you know uh, kind of violating their privacy by reaching out to them in their home or some of the stuff that now will go on during you know on social media you know, that to me I've has sort of always felt out of bounds, and hopefully we're doing a different kind of thing here around Georgia football and a different kind of thing around Dog Nation Daily when it comes to stuff like that. Now, we're not done with great guests as of yet. Jake Fromm going to join us here in a little bit too. Always fun to have him part of the show. Kroger Fresh Take there coming up. Prior to that, though, let's go cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And let's get excited about the Dog Nation cruise coming up in April of 2024. So for those of you who've never done this before, you got to understand something. We've already had big-time signups. In fact, we continue to have big signups for this week after week after week. People know that the first Dog Nation cruise two years ago, an amazing experience. Last year, even better. This year in April of 2024, kind of like any great sequel, 
We're taking it to an even higher level this year. Bigger and better than ever before because we're on a bigger and better cruise ship than ever before. For the very first time, the Dog Nation crew is going to sail on an Oasis-class ship called Allure of the Seas. That means there's more Dog Nation-themed events, but there's also more folks on board uh, supporting Dog Nation and more specialty restaurants and fun lounges, more of those really cool Royal Caribbean neighborhoods, the Central Park, the Boardwalk, all those you know, kind of things on the ship that almost make you forget that you're on a cruise ship. All of that when it comes to Allure of the Seas. And it's convenient drive right from the Atlanta area, uh, right down there to Port Canaveral, going to Nassau in the Bahamas, and most importantly, going to Perfect, Gate, Perfect Day Coco Cay. There is no Royal Caribbean cruise vacation that I want to take uh, that does not include, I guess use a double negative, that does not include a trip and stopover to Perfect Day Coco Cay and the brand new Perfect Day Coco Cay with the introduction of Hideaway Beach here in 2024. A special adults only enclave kind of mixed into it's kind of a Vegas pool party style vibe uh, kind of mixed into everything else that's going on. The thrill side with the water park, the chill side with the beach and the lounging, all the cool stuff there. It is all going down April of 2024. So uh, reach out to Jessica Slater. She's got a great website for you. It's RoyalDogs.com. RoyalDogs.com. Terrific website to find out all the information you need about the Dog Nation cruise going on in April of 2024. Now, before I get fully into all of our SEC through stuff, I don't have a fancy graphic for this, but I do want to follow up on something we mentioned yesterday. Georgia basketball did get big-time news yesterday. We've mentioned this in the space. I want to make sure I mention it again. Asa Newell, the five-star from Florida, committed to Georgia. This is a big deal, very big deal. One of the top players in the class of 2024, a big recruiting win from Mike White. Uh, so I wanted to make mention of that. Big shout out to the dogs there on that. Really, really fun and good news there on that. So congratulations to Mike White, who is in the process of perhaps turning around uh, Georgia basketball, which would be a really, really good thing. All right, here's what's not a good thing. More allegations mounting against Michigan. And let me try to, I guess, sort of compartmentalize all of this that's out there. What we know is is that Michigan the staffer, uh, Mr. Stallions, uh, Connor Stallions, Spent a lot of money to travel around a lot of Big Ten schools. But we've also now found out that uh, reporting of the Washington Post and Yahoo and ESPN, in addition to you know traveling around these Big Ten schools, also traveling around to possible playoff opponents for Michigan there as well, including several stops to see Georgia. And there are a few things that are interesting here. First of all, a lot of folks are kind of treating Kirby Smart as if he kind of zinged Michigan when he said that he didn't notice anything about Michigan perhaps having their signals. A lot of folks took that as a joke because George obviously beat Michigan so bad in the 2021 college football playoff. He didn't really notice anything there on that. I don't know. That's, I don't think that's how Smart intended that. We played the auto, audio for you yesterday on that. doesn't come across quite too zinger-ish when you listen to it uh, in, in kind of real time. But nonetheless, Smart's kind of getting some attention for that. The other thing that people are saying here is, is that the one team that we don't have any specific evidence that Michigan went and scouted, that was TCU. So is it just a coincidence that TCU pulled a big upset against Michigan there that day? Maybe it is, but Tennessee's visiting Tennessee on the off chance the Vols would make the playoff, spending thousands of dollars to see Georgia several times in the obvious belief that Georgia would be there watching Alabama, all these playoff teams, potential playoff teams, to have their signals and their signs if they got a chance to play. They apparently didn't visit TCU, we're led to believe. Uh, at least there's no evidence that they did. Uh, no evidence they scouted TCU, and then TCU upset them in the college football playoff semifinal a year ago. One of those things that'll just at least, you know, as the old saying used to go, uh, make you say, hmm, the fact that TCU was not apparently scouted and then ultimately got the victory. Here's the other thing. And sometimes with the SEC through, we sort of play it fast and lose with some of the rumor mill stuff. It seems like there could be some rumors potentially bubbling up, and this is not in any way confirmed at all, but it seems like there could be some potential rumors kind of bubbling up that not only did Michigan scout its possible future opponents, maybe it also shared some of that scouting information. And let me tell you something, that's where this probably also takes a little bit of an interesting turn. If not only did uh, Michigan gain extra information on possible opponents, but in kind of looking around at who possible opponents might be, say, what if we could keep this team from making the college football playoff? What if we think this team is so good that even having their signals doesn't quite give us the advantage we want, and so therefore we're going to try to help so-and-so beat them so we don't have to worry about them? Obviously, if there's any team that Michigan would perhaps have considered doing that to, it would, of course, be Georgia because Georgia was – 
uh, the eventual national champion. Now, as I said before, it seems like now that's all just sort of rumor mill stuff, but watch and see where that goes. I think my last take on the Michigan story is simply this, at least for now anyway. We said this yesterday when Connor Riley joined us in place of the uh, 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 convalescing Mike Griffith that um, nothing's going to happen here. Ultimately, this is going to be just like Kansas basketball or a lot of things that happen in life, seemingly in sports, certainly, but in life in general, where Michigan football is just too big to fail. And there'll be gnashing of teeth and there'll be, you know, clutching of pearls and fainting couches will be used. But ultimately, Michigan football is just too big to fail. The NCAA doesn't probably have the power to punish them. The Big Ten doesn't have the guts to punish them. Nothing serious is going to happen, even though the severity of this story, I believe, is growing larger and larger and larger. So this is what I would call upon the Big Ten to do. And I'm going to say this somewhat half-kiddingly, but also half-seriously there as well. Michigan should punish itself. I mean, that's what teams do all the time, right? They self-impose punishments. And Michigan has sort of held itself up as sort of a different kind of standard, a beacon of integrity. In fact, the entirety of the Big Ten really does this. We are in an arms race between the SEC and the Big Ten, and the SEC's belief is it plays the best football because ultimately that's what the name of the game is. The Big Ten's belief is, and you don't have to look very far to find this, the Big Ten's belief is they're just better people. Oh, we care more about academics. We're just better people. We're not like these rednecks down south who they cheat and they do whatever else. You know, win at all costs. We're not win at all costs up here. Well, this is a chance to prove that. If Michigan is not a win at all costs program, then punish yourself because the NCAA, I don't believe, can. The Big Ten, I don't think, has the guts to. They're not going to, you know, uh, uh, you know, undercut one of their potential championship contenders. I think, I think Michigan ought to, ought to impose a serious punishment on itself. If it takes stuff like this seriously, it ought to do it. Uh, I mean, we saw a couple of years ago, Michigan was willing to cancel an entire season. One of the leaders at the forefront of not playing the 2020 season because it was believed at the time that, well, you know, there are some things more important than football here. Uh, and so Michigan was more than happy not to play the 2020 season. Do you still feel that some things are more important than football? Is integrity more important than football? If it is, then Michigan should self-impose a postseason ban. Now, you'll laugh at me saying that because they'll never do that, but they should. I mean, if they, if the allegations are true and Michigan values its integrity, if this is more than just sort of hypocritical, you know, uh, pomposity, you know, you know uh, if this is real, then they should do it. But they won't, of course. But they should. Uh, and they've already, they've already shown you they were willing not to play a season when they thought that's what they needed to do. Well, how about not playing a postseason this year if you want to value your integrity? If the, the only punishment that's likely to come is a self-imposed punishment, at least of any severity. The only punishment that's likely to come here is a self-imposed punishment from Michigan. Now, they won't do that to themselves either, but just interesting to note the, uh, the level of hypocrisy there and the idea that moving forward as we move into a more intense, as I said before, kind of arms race between the SEC and the Big Ten, the thing the Big Ten has typically kind of armed itself with, this idea of we do it the right way. Well, I'm looking around at Michigan right now. I'm not quite so sure that's true. Now, shifting gears back to the SEC here, I was thinking about this a little bit. I think as we move into the stretch drive of the season, some of like the really highly tatted recruits that we haven't heard from a lot yet, I think down the stretch here we could hear a lot more from them. I want to mention three recruits real quick in the SEC that I think could be in line for pretty big moments here the rest of the year. And some of this is somewhat speculative. At least in one example, it's not. I'll start with that more obvious example. Watch Nicholas Harbor at South Carolina. For those that follow recruiting, you know Harbor was like this former five-star from last year's uh, signing class. Not really obvious what position he would play, but it seems like he's kind of settling in right now, sort of a tight end style role. I'm not, this is too high of praise, but kind of a combination of sort of Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington, a really big guy who has really high-end athleticism. Now, he may not prove to be nearly as good as either of those two tight ends. I'm talking about from a style of play standpoint, a very athletic, big tight end. And he's slowly starting to come on now. He's obviously the most dynamic player currently on the South Carolina offense. If I'm Shane Beamer in what's an otherwise lost season, I want to feature Harbor as much as I can the rest of the way, including, by the way, this Saturday against Texas A&M. A&M is a pretty big favorite against South Carolina, but could an expanded role for Harbor in a game like this give the Gamecocks a better chance of keeping it close? I would watch for that. Another tr true freshman who I think could be ready to kind of bust out here or at least be a part of the story in a larger way, that's Nico Imaleva, the Tennessee quarterback. Thus far, we haven't really heard a lot from Imaleva, but it's obvious that Joe Milton's just not really getting it done. This is not a good quarterback, and right now Tennessee does not have a good offense. You kind of wonder, 
do we hear more about Emaleva prior to the game against Georgia? Maybe it's this Saturday against Kentucky. Magically, he just sort of gets inserted at some point or at some point in time. Does Tennessee go youth movement at quarterback as a way of salvaging something from this year, just given the fact that Joe Milton's not very impressive? This is more speculation, but I've kind of always wondered if by the time we got to that Georgia game for Tennessee, if Nico was more a part of the story there at quarterback, perhaps he will be. I would just sort of watch out for that. And then one more to give you here. The two big freshmen at Alabama, elite recruits that got away from the state of Georgia. One of those guys we've heard from a lot. One of those guys we haven't heard from very much at all as of yet. The guy we've heard from a lot is Caleb Downs. He's having the kind of freshman season for Alabama you sort of think that he would. On the flip side, Justice Haynes has barely been mentioned at all. And we're sort of in a day and age in which, and I don't know Haynes' particular situation, but we're sort of in a day and age in which it's either use him or lose him. So I would watch Justice Haynes and Alabama very closely here moving forward. We're either about to see Haynes start playing a whole lot more, or you might wonder about the possibility that Haynes could play somewhere else. And that's obviously just speculation here. That's just me kind of making this up out of whole cloth, out of thin air. I'll I'll totally acknowledge that. But I would watch Alabama from the standpoint, as they play LSU coming up next Saturday, a great chance to provide a new wrinkle. Do they look for a way to intentionally get Justice Haynes more involved in the offense? And once again, if you think about a potential matchup with Georgia coming up in the SEC championship, by the time you get there, do you see more of Justice Haynes being a part of the Alabama offense at that time? Because he really hasn't been as of yet. That's worth keeping your mind, your eye on. And then one more thing here real quick. Uh, yesterday, somewhat surprising news in recruiting as Ryan Wingo, the five-star wide receiver, who a lot of folks thought was on his way to Missouri because of a very big NIL deal, actually makes a decision to go to Texas. The Texas swoops in and wins a big one here. Uh, and you would presume also matching a big NIL total as a way of doing that. So Longhorn's been pretty hot in recruiting as of late. Wingo's one of the biggest players that was out there. Uh, a potential major win, a la the Williams-Winary, Luther Burden wins that we've seen uh, Missouri get in recent years. Ryan Wingo may have been the next one of those, but ultimately it's Texas who swoops in and wins that battle. So Steve Sarkeesian trying to stay alive here in the college football playoff and uh, for now doing that uh, on the field perhaps, but in recruiting, staying hot, bringing in Ryan Wingo will make that. Cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, will also for now get a chance to hear from the former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm as a part of a Recruiter Fresh Take here right now. And here on Dog Nation Daily Time now for a Kroger fresh take as we say hello to the uh, former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm. Obviously getting ready for the cocktail party on Saturday, a uh, game that I know uh, all Georgia fans think is uh, in- incredibly important. And Jake Fromm had some of his best performances in. So always fun to have him in a discussion when that is involved. But Jake, before we get to that, I have a couple of other issues I want to address with you for a moment. I'm not quite so sure how much you've even had time to pay attention to stuff like this kind of away from your job there in Washington and what Georgia's doing. But uh have you seen much of the situation with Michigan and the allegations of the sign stealing and how pervasive that apparently was? As a football player yourself, what do you make of that? Yeah, hey, Brandon, what's going on? Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I have uh, been increasingly uh, seeing some of this Michigan stuff pop up. And, uh, you know, there's always kind of this, this gray, blurred line uh, with kind of, you know, sign stealing and, and having a competitive advantage. Um, it definitely looks like they kind of went a little overboard with it and, and took uh, the next couple steps. So um, it's going to be very interesting to see how all that turns out. Um, and, uh, man, I just uh, honestly, I'm, I'm interested to see how it all unravels. Let me ask you what may be a dumb question, but I want to ask you a direct question. As a quarterback, how much does it help if you think you know what the defense is going to do? <laughs> I mean, it helps, uh, it helps a tremendous amount. Um, I mean, there's always little things you, you look for, um, hand signals by the DBs maybe um, on tape, um, just, just, to, just to give you a, a competitive advantage and, and, and have an idea of what they're doing. Um, I, I think if, it, it, as long as it's there and you don't go out of your way to, to you know, really, uh, quote-unquote, steal signs, I mean, I, I, there, there, there's definitely a gray area there. Um, but uh, it definitely looks like they, they kind of crossed over that fence a little bit. So you're kind of like me where 
if we're in a game and I'm on the sideline and I say, hey, Jake, every time they do whatever, that means they're doing this, that seems like that's fair game to me anyway. Same thing if you're batting and I'm on second base. If I see the, the catcher put down two fingers for a curveball, if I can spot that, that just seems like it's fair game to use. But if I'm traveling to the road game and got my binoculars and my video equipment out and I'm videoing the sideline, now we've kind of gone beyond just sort of normal competitive advantage stuff to all of a sudden now once you bring in technology or once you bring in unusual effort now it sort of feels like we've sort of veered in the direction of cheating is that kind of how you see it yeah well 100 i really like the uh the bringing the uh the baseball analogy up um i mean that's something that um that just that happens i mean if you're gonna let me do it then i'm gonna take advantage of it but if i'm if i'm going out of my way to to steal signs and to to, I mean, really, uh, I mean, really go out of my way uh, to take advantage of it, then I, I think yeah, that, that's crossing the line a little bit, in my opinion. And then uh, another issue that's kind of gotten some talk this week, and as a quarterback, I'm curious of your opinion on this. It's not obvious or even uh, speculated that this may actually happen, but there's been some suggestion of, you know, Caleb Williams, last year's Heisman Trophy winner, now that USC's lost twice, he's not going to win the Heisman again. They're not going to make the college football playoff this year. Well, therefore, he should just sort of shut it down, pack it up, and get ready for the NFL draft. He's essentially got nothing to play for. Some have said that. You know, Jake, I think for those of us who love the sport, there's a concern that maybe this line of thinking may start creeping in a little bit more, whether it's Caleb Williams or, or someone else. You know, this idea that once you're eliminated from the playoff, therefore there's no reason for you to play. You're in the NFL. You've started games in the NFL. You're obviously a very high-level college player. What do you make of the suggestion that, hey, a big-time quarterback who's no longer alive for the national championship race, therefore if he's thinking about the NFL draft, maybe he should just stop playing altogether? Yeah, I, I don't like it. Um, plain and simple, I think it's a, uh, it's a, it's a bad – we've kind of hit in our culture to just say um you know if it, ain't, if it ain't good for me then i'm just gonna kind of quit on everybody around me um you know that's a that's a commitment that was made prior to the season to play the season um and i, I just i think that's just something that you you finish out i, I think a, a bowl game is uh that's a different conversation um uh, but i think uh it's just kind of up and quit during the middle of a an entire football season. I, I'm just I'm not I'm not a fan. I think that kind of leaves a, a sour taste in my mouth. Uh, moving on to Georgia, Florida, here for a moment. It was it came up this week, and perhaps this is just a coincidence, but you are actually one of the few quarterbacks in recent years who has won your first start in the Georgia, Florida game. That a lot of other Georgia quarterbacks, a lot of other quarterbacks have not had success in their first start in this rivalry. As I said before, maybe that's just a coincidence. But as someone who was part of a big win there in 2017 and undefeated for your career against the Gators, is there something to playing in this game for the first time when you've never played it before? Obviously, Beck will be making his first start in this series on Saturday. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a different feel to it because of the 50-50. Um, it, it does kind of feel like a uh, like an NFL game almost. Uh, obviously, you're in an NFL stadium in an NFL locker room. Um, there is a slightly different feel to it. You're, uh, it's, it's like a home game, but you're you're not at home. Um, and uh, I don't know. To me, there's just a really cool atmosphere uh, coming in all, uh, on the bridge and just getting to see everybody um, having a grand old time. It's just uh, it's just different. It's just something that not everybody gets to experience. Um, but uh, man, really looking forward to the Carson going out and playing and uh, playing in his hometown and um, and hopefully he has a big game and, and responds well to that. Yeah, that's a big deal, right? I mean, uh, the idea that Carson's from Jacksonville playing this game in Jacksonville, my guess is a lot of people, I mean, I know he's you know still really entrenched in that Jacksonville community down there. Uh, my guess is a lot of folks in that town, you know, fairly you know large city, you know, my guess is a lot of folks will think it's a pretty big deal that Carson's getting a chance to start in what is essentially his hometown. I don't think that's a small storyline for this game. No, not at all. Uh, you know, just hope he doesn't put uh, too much pressure on himself uh, to perform and just trust the guys around him. And uh, hopefully they got some guys healthy this uh, this past week and they come out with a great plan and are able to play fast. One more thing I want to ask you about back in this game on Saturday. Prior to that, let me remind folks, this is our Kroger Fresh Tag with Jake Fromm here on Dog Nation Daily. And, of course, 
Jake talking about having a big old time. Obviously, Halloween coming up. So many folks looking forward to a big old time there as well. And for everything you need to get stocked up and all the stuff you need for a great Halloween experience, the candy, perhaps some gifts or some decorations, things like that, you can also get big savings right now at your local Kroger. So check out Kroger.com slash Halloween for more on that. That's Kroger.com slash Halloween for more on that. So, Jake, to conclude our conversation today, I was looking a little bit uh, yesterday at some of the stuff that's been going on with Carson Beck as he kind of moves into what might be the second half of his season coming up. If Georgia wins the national championship, then that means the dogs, including Saturday, have eight more games left to play. And a year ago, Stetson Bennett seemingly, from a statistical standpoint, was a lot more productive in the second half of the season than he was the first. He threw like 20 touchdowns from game eight through game 15 last year, got very productive in that second half of the season. Now for Beck, this is obviously his first year starting. And I'm thinking back to your first year as a starter for a moment. How much more comfortable were you kind of moving in second half of the season compared to those first games? Like I remember you had a very good game against Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl, for instance. By that point in time, did you still feel like a freshman? Or at that point, did you kind of feel like you had kind of grown out of some of those early jitters and felt a little bit more like an experienced quarterback? What was that transition like for you? Yeah, I see. I, I really love where the bye week is uh, for Georgia, um, kind of that, that middle, late part of the year. Um, and you're able to really uh, assess yourselves of, of um, personally as a um, and to me, I, I knew I always got a lot of confidence going into that week of practice during the bye week. Um, you know, because uh, when you practice against yourself, um, <laughs> you know, having that, being able to practice yeah. at the University of Georgia, you're going against some really, really good football players. So you get a lot better. There's a lot of good on good during that week. And um, I gained a lot of confidence from that week uh, and being able to, to propel that into later in the year and um yeah i i definitely think it's a, a growing opportunity that week and um it, it makes it even better when you come out and have a big win over florida well i love that jake you certainly had some big wins against florida in your career and hopefully carson Beck can earn one there on saturday there as well thank you so much for being here as part of a kroger fresh take today best of luck with your uh rest of the week here and we will look forward to talking to you again very soon awesome brandon thank you and before we wrap up here today, let me remind you about some really fun things going on. Our friends up in Cartersville, Georgia, there in Bartow County. All kinds of exciting things, including West Fest, taking place at the Booth Museum here. It's October 26th to the 28th. That's just the next couple of days here. You get your cowboy hat on, reenact the gunfight, the OK Corral, and all kinds of really fun things there. Also, how about the Monster Truck event known as the Evolution of Bigfoot, taking place at the Savoy Auto Museum. Uh, you can see the history of monster trucks, including Bigfoot, the 1975, the original model, and all of the designs that you see here today. A great chance for those of you who have kids that like monster, crust, monster trucks, things like that, uh, going on there at the uh, Savoy Auto Museum. And then also, with Halloween right around the uh, corner, how about a big pub crawl taking place October 27th and 28th for just $45. You can get a uh, beverage at 10 participating locations right there around the uh, Cartersville area. You can go online only in cartersvillebartow.com for more on that. That's only in cartersvillebartow.com for a lot more on that today. And as we get ready to wrap up here on this edition of Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp, let's give you a golden shoe here and always love to see Georgia football and the passion that exists for that out there for a good cause. Uh, including a bulldog's battling breast cancer, a bulldog's battling breast cancer. Easy for me to say, I guess. They've got a website, bulldogsbattlingbreastcancer.com. They shared this with me. Uh, our buddy uh, Hunter Jones uh, sent this over. Uh, beat those lousy stinking gators, they say, which always get us some attention around here. We'll give them a golden shoe because they've already raised more than ten thousand, upwards fifteen thousand dollars or so for breast cancer research here over the course of the last few weeks. So you love to see that. Bulldogsbattlingbreastcancer.com. Beat those lousy stinking gators. Give them more money here in support of breast cancer research there, too. So some nice stuff there. We'll give them a golden shoe for that. We'll also remind you, our Gator Hater Countdown, just two skinny little days away from the cocktail party. So maybe you're traveling down today. Be safe as you do. We'll see you down there coming up on Saturday and back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp.